Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome or welcome back to Soap Lore, the official gathering place for movies, novices, and OG diehard fans of the golden age of prime time. We are sliding into my favorite time of the week, the versus 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 episode. This is the episode where we compare apples and apples, oranges to oranges, drama to drama, bubbles to bubbles. It is my favorite time of the week where we crown the best and bubbliest this week. I'm your host, Jet, and whether you're new to this or true to this, sit back and enjoy. Tell the kids it's time to play outside our site. Tell Bay no questions, suggestions, or concerns for the next 25 to 35 minutes. Everyone else in Airshot knows the drill. You gotta be cool, you gotta be quiet, or you have to get out. Period. Point blank. We are discussing the very best and bubbliest of our stories. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Soap Lord. Hey gorgeous, welcome or welcome back to another exemplary episode of Soap Lore. I'm your host and Soap Lorist, Jetta Shea, here with another versus 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 my absolute favorite time of the week. I love comparing apples and apples. I can't give anyone else credit for this particular idea, but I love the thought of lining these guys up side by side because you get to see what happens when a show like Dallas takes off. Dynasty pops off and then Falcon Crest shows up and shows out. I've had this very deep discussion with my girl Lou. Shout out to Lou. Hey girl, thank you for listening. And my husband. And it's like their consensus is that because Falcon Crest is a third in line, they're the tertiary soap opera. Of course, they're going to get it right because they've studied everything else. I believe that, but I also believe that Falcon Crest understood the assignment they got the formula perfect before we had an algorithm. This is 1981, 82, 83. No algorithm, no computer telling you what you need to put out. They understood the assignment and wrote the show accordingly. And I am thoroughly and completely enthralled and entertained. So we're going to compare, well, season three, episode 20 of all three shows, Falcon Crest, Test of Faith, aka the Beware of the Parking Garage episode. Season 3, Episode 20 of Dallas, Second Thoughts, a.k.a. the I've Seen the Light episode. And lastly, but certainly not least, Season 3, Episode 20 of Dynasty, The Downstairs Bride, a.k.a. the What You Want and What You Need episode. This particular episode is going to be chock full of advice and real life sagas that we can all learn from even if it is on television, because let's let's keep it real. I had this thought the other day about the way the world works today in 2023 at the time of this recording. None of us were meant to know everything all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once was such a great film because it showed you the absurdity of getting so much information all at once and having to adjust in real time. Humans, we're not built for that. We're built for steady progression we're built for a kind of a breakneck speed every now and again, but not every single day. I'm not going to nerd out on you guys, but if I were, I would tell you to read the book Generations. I'll put the, the information in the show notes and it basically explains the, the generations from, I think it's the year 1520 or 1580, something like that through the year 2000. And they explain basically, I think I've talked about this a little bit before, that Every four or five generations, you just kind of repeat yourself. For example, the millennials are the new silent generation. 
wouldn't seem like it because we're in the age of information. But if you look at the way the silent generation had to evolve with the industrial revolution and then involve with everything else that happened after that, the millennials are on par to do the exact same thing. We were the last generation to have like paper applications. Our birth certificates were scanned into computer systems. It didn't catch up for another 10 years. We have the internet, we have the iPhone, so on and so forth. So it's just really interesting to see how these situations repeat themselves. Anyway, we didn't come to talk about generations. We come to talk about our stories. Season three, episode 20, best and brightest. I got to be honest with you guys, this week is a little bit of a challenge because It's near the end of the season. Everybody is on their A game. They are building up for new storylines. They are building up for shockers. They're building up for cliffhangers. And we are just waiting with bated breath. I tell you what, it is so hard not to just put pedals to the metal and watch every episode of the show like I really want to do. But you know what? We started something. We're going to finish it to completion. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the Versus 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 episode for episode 20 of season three. Welcome back, Soap Teens, to another fun-filled edition of Soap Lore. We have to get to the bottom of who did it best this week. We're going to start off with Falcon Crest because that is the last thing on my mind. Now, I was kind enough to remember that Julia had a whole spiel. There was actually a lot going on this episode. I wanted to focus on the Maggie aspect and I wanted to focus on the Aunt Terry aspect because I feel like the conflict between two sisters is probably our best bet. And they did not disappoint. Turns out Maggie has this inoperable brain tumor, which is dun dun dun. Classic daytime soap opera. I'm a little bit surprised to see it in evening soap opera, but not really. Now, Quiet as kept, Terry did not push her down the steps, but who would believe her at this point? Chase understands that she has always been kind of a pain in his butt, but now Cousin Michaels is understanding that she has been gaming him this entire time. She's been a full-on call girl, former or not, it doesn't really matter. The fact is that she didn't spill this information to him, which has breached their trust. Is this going to do very much for us? I don't think so. I think she's going to stick around for a few more seasons. And that could be because, of course, I'm joining the Falcon Crest pages. I feel like I've seen a lot of her. So I don't think she's going anywhere. I think she's going to have to learn to adapt and become more savvy when it comes to the art of seduction, which she is not. Which brings us to my girl, Melly Mel. It broke my heart to leave her out of the story this week. But ultimately, my girl's going through it. She needs to lay up in the hospital bed and recuperate before she strikes again. It, it, it is not, that's not in her nature though. So let me refresh your memory. Last time we spoke, she was absolutely signing over her rights as Joseph's main custodian over to Angela, which then made him a ward of the state essentially because Angela don't really give a damn about this baby. He has no blood in her other than the blood from Cole's Uberti. She wants to leverage him for her position at Falcon Crest. And dare I say it? Dare I say it? Bad Girls Club, that is a brilliant piece of strategy. She understands the assignment and she's going to make sure that she gets what she wants by by basically building a web around everyone else around her. This episode, though, my girl was a little bit shaken. I absolutely left out the part about Philip. Philip gets on my nerves. Philip is absolutely Mr. Store on Dallas. He's a guy who fired the redheaded lady to hire Pam at J- JC at uh, JR's request. 
And now suddenly on FC on Falcon Crest, he is the double timing lawyer who's running and telling, uh, running and telling Richard all of Angie's business. And then he's running and telling Angie all of Richard's business. Either way, Angela is a little bit screwed. She just happens to be a scrupulous businesswoman and she's not going to let that affect her in any way. But Philip, this episode, tries to play the, oh, you know what I'm saying, babe? Like, I love you so much, baby. Why are you doing this to me? Like, 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 can't we just start a life together? I asked you to marry me. She said, no, sir. No means no. No is a complete statement. Only Philip doesn't understand that. Now, I don't know why he would think he was that dude. He's not that cute. He's not that young. He's not that powerful. Angela basically has a leash on him. And she's like, mm. I'm going to keep you at a distance because I don't trust you like that. Rightfully so. Her intuition is 100% on point. But Philip wants to gaslight her. So this was my favorite part of the episode. Angela has handled business with Aunt Terry. She's handled business with Chase. And she gets to Philip, who tries to finesse his way back into her bed, back into her heart, back into her life. She's having none of it. Instead... Philip starts to uh to backtrack when she presents him with this cuff link. Y'all forgive me. My kids are being hella loud in the background. I don't even know why. Playing a stupid game, but we're going to make this do what it do. She presents him with a cuff link with his initials on it. Remember y'all the one she found in Jacqueline Perrault's bedroom, aka hotel room that Jacqueline had been in for several months. Now he examines it. He's like, wow, isn't that fascinating? Oh my goodness. P- that's E. Oh my God, what a coincidence. Those happen to be my initials. Absolutely, they're initials that belong to you, homeboy, because you were in that bedroom. But of course, he wants to what? Gaslight, gaslight, gaslight her. He's pretending like he, babe, I have no idea. Someone went through a lot of trouble to make these. Dare I say it? It's possible. It's plausible. It's absolutely a possibility within this story room because, hey, Going out or not, Jacqueline knew she wasn't coming back. Why wouldn't she try to make Angie's life as uncomfortable as possible? Now, with this particular storyline, the storyline about Melissa, the storyline about Chase and Maggie and her newly found tumor, and then the storyline about Lance running up on Richard because he felt away because Melissa lost the baby has been a stellar, stellar performance. I literally have no critique of this episode. Season three, episode 20 of Falcon Crest understood the assignment. And dare I say it, they are the team to beat this week. Good luck, everyone else. Wasn't nobody bucking like the, the people in Napa Valley, a.k.a. Tuscany Valley. Angie Big Perm is that worm. She's in that apple. She's ready to do what needs to be done. You can forget about it. You think you're coming for her throne? We'll see. Which brings us to Dynasty, ladies and gentlemen. I have to say the downstairs ride was not a disappointment, but more of a revelation. I love that it is setting up the season finale to be absolutely interesting. First and foremost, never thought I'd say this, Joseph is right. Joseph has been a major domo his entire life. He seems to be in his 60s. He's raised a daughter. He has helped raise Stephen and Fallon in the absence of Alexis, their mother. He has been the right-hand man for Blake so long as they're at his house. But ultimately, Joseph runs the house. Joseph is the absolute paternal figure in this story. And the fact that his daughter has married Jeff Colby, which is the second richest or first richest guy 
in all of Colorado should be exciting news. Ultimately, it's not because Joseph feels how he feels. He, at the end of the day, it's one thing to work for these people and it be separated for you. You can go home and have pillow talk, talk to whoever you want to about it and make this whole scheme and scam and make it funny. It's different when it's your flesh and blood married into this. So now he's like, who are you? It is different when it's your flesh and blood married into this crap. Now he's like, who are you? What do I call you? How is he going to treat you? How am I going to hold my tongue now that you are the Mrs. Colby, the, the second, third or fourth Mrs. Colby within the last month or so? This is getting out of hand. Am I crazy? I dare to say every person on Dynasty is gaslighting corpse Chris Joseph. It is clear that he does not have a sense of humor. It is clear that he doesn't have any imagination whatsoever. When you present him with information, he's going to take it to heart. And you know what? He's right. I still want to know what Kirby's background is. And they're dragging this out. I almost feel like the writers forgot about it. We're on episode 20. At most, we're at 24 at, at bare minimum, we're at 22. So between this and, and now and two weeks from now, y'all to get it together or leave it alone. I want to know what happens with her. I'm still pumped about Adam. Now, Adam slid in this episode to try to talk a little sense into his baby brother, but it's awkward because, of course, they don't have that sort of repertoire. And another thing, I don't feel like people know how to write gay people back in the 80s. That is my personal opinion. It It is abundantly clear. Not that I'm saying there is a specific formula but it's almost as if they forgot that there are nuances. Steven is a great character because he's Blake Carrington's son and because he has a little bit of a sordid past. Do I believe he's pulling all these women and or men? No. I think he's a complete and total square who loves to travel the world just to piss his father off. But Steven has never, ever, ever found his footing. Now, the fact that he went off and married Crystal's racetrack trash niece surprised me. But ultimately, I feel like her unpredictable, unstable past is going to bring lots and lots of excitement for the foreseeable future. Her auntie Crystal has become a boring side character. I don't really care about her McGruff, the crime dog era. She can do what she wants to do in her silk robes in her house, laying out duck filet that nobody but her and Blake eats. It's sad. It's pathetic. I wish there was a little bit more depth. But you know what? I'm going to be patient because I understand this is a process. And if there are at least nine seasons that she's on, I'm sure something will pop off eventually. That's it. That's all for that. Dynasty this week showed up and showed out. We had Jeff, not Jeff, Jeff and Kirby's marriage. Jeff basically recoiling. I hate that there's no paint cornucopia residue for him. He is making all the choices that Blake still wants him to make. And that's another thing to me. That's so weird that Blake would be in his corner like that. You would think after someone put my daughter in a headlock, I would feel a certain way about him. Blake clearly doesn't. Probably because he wants to choke out Fallon for many, many years. And Jeff just happened to be the person who did it. Ultimately, Ain't nothing changed. Alexis has got new money, which means she has a new fur every single episode. And Adam seems to be loyal to her. So I can't wait for this absolute hostile takeover. All in all, great episode. Lots of cliffhangers. Like I said before, I think that Jeff, Kirby, and Adam, and a little bit of Steven are absolutely the stars of season three. And this episode did not change my opinion of that. Dare I say it, I think Dallas sort of hit their stride this week. Hear me out. I have been waiting for an episode that is fully focused and surrounded around Lucy 
and I expected it to be somewhat interesting. This one was, it wasn't 100% what I expected. I still feel like they're underutilizing her, but ultimately we got the job done. Lucy was icked out early on enough by Alan, aka Euphoria Beam, and she's just like, mm, this ain't quite yet. Now, they, they, they made a big show of making her super attracted to her very boring, very, I, I can't stress that enough, very, very, very boring or literature professor in college, but nothing ever turns of it. And it's like, stop bringing this girl up. It's almost like they, they do six or seven episodes and it's like, oh shit, what's the little blonde girl's name? Lucinda? Lucci? Let's get her on here. That's exactly what they did. She's not feeling Alan Beam. All of a sudden, Aunt Terry, a.k.a. Sue Ellen, Suwinda, Salute. It doesn't matter what her name is because she is gone, gone, gone. She's packed her tings in the apartment and she's left. Now, one thing about this apartment I noticed that belonged to Alan Beam is that it, it felt it was very reminiscent of my first apartment, fresh out of high school, entering into college where... Our parents just got together. I had a roommate. My roommate's parents had furniture. My parents had furniture. And we just slapped that crap together because we were going to make well enough alone. We're going to make it do what it do. And we did. But Alan Bean being a full-on lawyer, it just didn't make sense to me. He had a hideous, terrible, very awful apartment. And that's that's it. That's all for him. Everybody by the end of the show, it's, it's almost as if they were on her like this sort of spell on episode 19, episode 20. Everyone woke up and was like, mm, this ain't for me. I think I'm going to move on. Ultimately, it works out best for us as the viewer. Uh, obviously, I don't know who's going to pop a cap in JR, but there's at least a laundry list at this point. Now, Kristen gets a little bit beside herself. I don't want to talk about that just yet because I do feel it is my woman's intuition that the next one or two episodes are going to be about her. So we're going to chill on that. But just know that Kristen, once again, got beside herself. She stepped out of her realm of the side chick. She tried to enter into main chick slash old lady territory. And she was rudely rebuffed. She was totally embarrassed. And now she's sitting there with her head in her head, looking like an idiot. No sympathy for bad girl Kristen, because once again, y'all, these young girls do not understand how to play the game. I look forward to the seasons, all of the seasons growing a little bit so that I can see my bad girls club actually expand and, and reach their full potential. Moving on with the quickness. Nobody cares about Ray. And Lady D, it is what it is. I really don't care about Pam and Bobby. I, I don't even feel the need to mention it. The star of this show, once again, was J.R. Now, he unintentionally, he was all up and through this because he wanted to make sure that Alan Euphoria B married his pain-in-the-ass niece and moved her to Chicago so that her parents on the West Coast at Knox Landing don't start showing up. Now, I have listened. Call it woman's intuition. Call it TV premonition. I have a strong, strong, strong feeling that there's not going to be many crossover episodes of Knox Landing in Dallas, considering the Knox Landing aired the same year that Dallas did. I'm going to bet good money that I refuse to pay. If, if Listen, if it's on the contrary, I'm not paying y'all. I'm going to let y'all know right now. <laughs> this is an idle bet. But I, I get the feeling nothing's going to turn of this. Ultimately, we had this this happen. JR, as they say, the devil works hard. Chris Jenner works harder. 
J.R. Ewing works even harder than Chris Jenning. He was trying to lay the foundation to make sure everybody got a check for the foreseeable future in perpetuity. Ultimately, we will have to see how that turns out. But Dallas, this episode was actually good. Am I still bored to death by Ellie and Jock? I am. I want the the geriatric. God, I feel so bad saying that. But ultimately, they are. When I think about that, these people were born in the 1920s. I need you to bring a little bit of something. Now, Jock's, for whatever reason, the King of Azul, Mr. Cobalt Blue Baby himself, always entertains me because he seems to be completely and totally oblivious to anything that happens on his ranch, even though he was a little bit of a wildcatter if he had convinced Digger Barnes to sign over his rights to certain properties. You have to believe that the jock is a little bit astute. You have to believe that he's somewhat of an apt pupil, but he doesn't show it on the show. It's almost as if he starred in 97 Westerns and he's like your homeboy's best friend's dad. So like, give him a role, but it's, he's not making the most of it. I'm going to chill out. I'm going to stop with my critique on Dallas because at the end of the day, I still enjoy it. Is it better than Falcon Crest or Dynasty? Hmm. Jury's still out. All right, guys, enough of this funny business. We have to crown the best and bubbliest of the week. I want to go through each show really quickly and tell you what the best and the worst was. I absolutely have no critique for Falcon Crest. Surprise, surprise, writing was writing. The acting was mostly acting, with the exception of Lorenzo Lamas, but I do believe his appearance in this particular episode parlayed into a career with Renegade. So I'm going to shut my mouth because it turned out well for him. Dynasty in Dallas. Dynasty spent the money, however... No, they ain't no however. They had all the twists and turns, even the corny parts. Actually, there was nothing that was too corny for the storyline. They stuck to it. Kirby's relationship with her dad being in jeopardy makes a hundred percent sense. It even makes sense to me that Fallon would be a little bit irked by the relationship between Kirby and uh Jeff, even though she don't want anything to do with Jeff. Jeff being oblivious is a little bit annoying, but we're going to let that be what it be because we know there's a whole spinoff with the Colby. So I'm just going to chill, mind my business, and see how this plays out. As far as Dallas goes, I love the way that JR was put his feet on the ground. He was making moves. He was making the, having the right conversations. He was making the right phone calls. He was getting rid of the right people. He was trying to manipulate the wrong people. And it turned out all for his best interest. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, in a turn of events, even though I would love to have given it to Falcon Crest this week because they have a cliffhanger, they had a plot twist that we didn't see coming. Well, we all saw that coming. If you're a soap fiend, if you're a TV kid who's watched at least five to six years of TV, you know that there's going to be some sort of incurable and operable brain tumor that's going to show up on a soap opera day or nighttime, period, point blank. I'm not crapping on them this week for that, but I will say I think Dallas was a little bit better because of JR's sweat. The sweat equity put into supercharging this episode was amazing, and I salute you. Congratulations, Dallas. Second thoughts, aka the I've seen the light episode. It seems they've all seen the light. I gotta do this one little part. I left off my girl Sue Ellen. As much as I admire her as a secretary slash vice president of the Batgirls Vintage Soap Opera Club, she made one fatal mistake. 
shall we go back to the film, uh, The Incredibles, where the designer did not want to give Mr. or Mrs. Incredible a cape because there was always some horrible fiasco? Sue Ellen was wearing a cape this episode when she revealed her supervillain plan to JR. It's only going to make him thwart it because now he knows that she's a, it's an act. He can pretend along too. She did not think this through and it upsets me because she's such a bright and shining character. But ultimately, I trust and believe that this is just only going to be- turn into a more dramatic situation that I get to enjoy in the privacy of my own home. All right, guys, that's it. That's all. Thank you so much for joining me for this extremely entertaining episode of Soap Lore. Remember to mind your business. Please, please, please take care of yourself because you absolutely deserve it. Stay moisturized, stay hydrated. And remember that all the drama in your life needs to be contained on TV. Bye.